Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you in this holiday season. Um, if you're here today and you are a, maybe like an A-type personality, you know, maybe, I'm, it's not an insult, it's just a description, um, you may be sitting there saying, hey, you know, you got three projectors, why don't you turn them all on? You know, you got three screens, why are you only using one? Well, it just turned out that this morning that two of them decided to break now. And so uh, we are without them. And, you know, that's exciting to go into the Christmas season, getting ready for your big, you know, high day to have your most expensive pieces of equipment break. But I say, nay, nay. I say, I don't care. I say, I can do this and we can do church without the fancy technology. Yeah, we can do it. Go ahead and turn the middle one off. I want to show these people I can actually do it. You know, but don't, but... Don't, well, maybe just turn it on for the rest of this. You, you want it on? You guys want it on? They want it on. I didn't need it on. I didn't need it on. It was, that's all them. So, uh, but I just, if you're wondering about that, just put your mind at ease. We'll try to get them fixed. But we're in the Christmas story. And that's one of those examples that there's so many things that can just bug the heck out of you. You know what I mean? There was an endless, a plethora of things that can just cloud your brain and make life seem unbearable. And that's why we're looking at the Christmas story is because we're, we're trying to rediscover in this story that there's more there than just a December narrative. There's more there than a, a, a child's uh, bedtime story. There's more there than, than maybe some story like Lord of the Rings or Narnia or, um, you know, did I say Star Wars again? Star Wars again, because I don't get out much. I'm pretty much a Star Wars person. That in this story, as my life has gone on, I, I'm looking for story. It's something that I'm looking, I want to be a part of a narrative, but I don't want to be part of something that's not true. It, it, needs to have, it needs to have history to it. It has to be in time and in space. It can't be mythical. It's got to be hopeful, and it's got to be realistic as life really is. And when I look at this story, the story of the nativity, I see hope on the move in the midst of really difficult situations. There is this, these obstacles of life. We all experience them. There are the things of, uh, that cause us discouragement or fear, um, a sense of uncertainty. And, the, and the, the news is loaded with it, whether it's war or calamity or family upheaval or financial hard times or the internal anxiety and fears of life, that they just kind of rise up like structures. And, and that's how I personally feel them and visualize them in my mind. They're like these things that get in the way of life and they obstruct life. And most of them seem to be immovable. I just can't do anything about them. I can't get them out of the way. But in the middle of all this, um, we find that at the Christmas story, it had structures. It had... It, it had uh, the Roman Empire, it had the Jewish religion, it had no room in the inn, it had a virgin who had never had relationships with a man before being told that she's going to have a child. And that in the middle of the story, in the middle of the response of this young woman and this, this young carpenter, that faith, that hope begins to weave itself through the impossible structures of their lives. And it's it's what God wants to communicate to us today, that he still moves. 
as he moved in a young woman with the power of the Holy Spirit, as he moved with the angels, as he moved through um, uh, with the shepherds, as he moved the wise men to the location, as he moved through the barriers of biology that God wants to communicate to us that in the midst of our structures, that we can have hope. And whatever that structure may be for you, maybe um, it's a divorce. Maybe it's something that happened in your past. Maybe it's not feeling like you're good enough, or maybe you're not educated enough, or maybe you've messed up. What God is communicating in this beautiful historical story is that divine movement is not restricted or confined by my structural limitations, that it's not limited to me. And so every one of us have structures, but divine movement is not confined to that. And that God wants to bring to life purpose and meaning and belonging and value within you and um, within the structures of your life. I know most of us want God just to take the structures away. Um, I'm just gonna tell you, most of the time that's not going to happen. Um, it's, you're going to live in the world. And in the world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. There will be dark structures of life that will move against you. But what we are promised is that in the midst of it, divine hope can move and bring to life stuff inside of us. And that's why Mary is such a heroic biblical character. With all this stuff, and then she, you know, the angel says, you're going to have a child, and She's looking at all the obstructions like, wait a minute, how can this be? I am a virgin, I do not know a man. And then he gives her this big answer, you know, that really doesn't say much other than, hey, God's gonna take care of this. But, you know, he doesn't explain how it's actually going to work. And in the middle of it, she's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet she's like, I don't fully understand your answer. Sounded a little, I've never heard anything like what it means to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Don't know about that, but I do know this, is that I want you to move in my life. Mary immediately surrenders. I want you to move in my life, move within the structures of my life. Let your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. And that is Mary's response. And that, that gives hope to me, that no matter what I'm facing, that, that God will move. So we encounter Jesus when he gets a little older. And all this kind of weaves back into the Christmas story. Like I said, um, we, we, the whole Bible revelation thing is not so two-dimensional as we tend to think of it. We think of it as linear, you know, and this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Therefore, for us, it needs to happen this way and this way and this way. But what we're discovering is that God's working beyond four dimensions here. He's, you know, as we study science, we look at quantum and we begin to see how that operates. And, and it, it's, it's, a lot of us get caught in this rigid thing, but we see here in this story that God is always bringing about movement through hope in people's lives. So Jesus is older and he's having a moment where he's teaching a large crowd and he's bringing them a message of hope. Now we call this crowd or this moment, the Sermon on the Mount. We are given a description of the kind of people they are. It says that they are people who are distressed, they're harassed, and they are like sheep without a shepherd. That's the description that Jesus gets. It's, it's kind of like people who are encountering structures in their lives. 
people that don't know how to be guided in the midst of the structures and how do we move about the structures. They are without shepherding in their life. But nestled in the middle of this big sermon, there is this little group of, of um, ideas that Jesus communicates and truths that are communicated to us, and they are called the Beatitudes. Um, and the reason why I like these Beatitudes and how they relate to the Christmas story is that these Beatitudes are like one-line statements that are examples of hope on the move in the contrast of hardship and opposition. You'll see that as I read them and, and kind of follow, you've heard them before, but as you hear me read them, I want you to see the kind of juxtaposedness of it, that there is this dark idea and then there's this hopeful idea. There's this light idea. So every one of the Beatitudes has this sense of contrast in it. Um, so let, let me read it to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And, and in some of these, there's an, there's, it's being implied that hardship is there because they're not experiencing mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And what's that implying? That there's conflict going on. For they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I love it because Jesus is offering these structures of contrast in life. Um, each beatitude, is, it, it offers a negative concept or a challenge that we may experience in life. And then it offers um, this hopeful idea. And for me, in the Christmas story, there is this dark sky night, uh, and then there's this star. And... And I kind of was looking at the Beatitudes. It's like it talks about our dark sky night. And then it talks about the hope or the, the, of God, the promise of God, the star in the middle. Each one of the Beatitudes. And, and it broke them up. It's like poverty, death, loss, opposition, conflict, rejection, injury. They're all just kind of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Dark sky, star. Dark sky, star. Each beatitude is like a star of hope in that specific challenge of life. And I was like, wow, what a beautiful idea. And that it connects for me, it now connects back to this Christmas story. Um, I love the Christmas story also because the, because the star that we're told about moves. Now, uh, let me just address the elephant in the room. If you are a skeptic, you may have a problem with this. And, and I, I get it. Uh, believe me, I've had uh, my skeptic period about 100 times in my life. And you know, this idea of a star moving, and you're kind of like, okay, I, I, that sounds more like mythology than it sounds like anything real. Well, there's a couple ways you can handle this so that you just don't take the story and say, well, this has got to be a myth. Now I have a moving star. Well, I kind of came up with three. 
And I do this whenever I encounter something in scripture about, yeah, that's, that's whacked. Yeah, I don't know how, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around if I believe that actually happened, okay? And, so, and it's okay. God does not strike you dead because you run into something. I mean, Mary is told she's about to have a child, but she hasn't had intimacy with a man, and she gets permission to say, uh, I don't know how this is going to be. And the angel's like, cool, I got it. Sometimes we do have questions. So here's how I've handled it if you're in that position. One, there's an actual celestial, celestial object moved to the visual vantage point of Bethlehem. Um, so it's actually being moved by God uh, to this place. It apparently was chartable, okay? Because the wise men came in advance. They set out from the east and they, they came. So it's not like it all of a sudden was a phenomenon that happened spookily, but rather it was, they, they were studying their uh, astrology and astronomy charts at the time. And it was charted that this movement and this movement would happen. So, okay, it was something that was chartable. That helps my scientific mind a little bit. Um, it could have been a planetary conjunction. And I know some of you are like a planetary conjunction. Well, what that is, is the alignment of about three planets. And you say, well, when does that happen? Well, it actually just happened in 2020. I have pictures of it, but my projectors are broken and you will not see pictures of it. But it actually happened in 2020 and me and the kids were out there taking pictures of it. It looked like one giant star in the sky and it happened at Christmas time. It was absolutely beautiful. I think it was Jupiter, Venus, and Mars kind of all lined up together and produced this one particular growth. And you say, oh, okay, uh, but how's that explain it with Jesus? Well, it turns out planetary movement can not only be foretold, we can also in retrograde, we can look at where they were back at a certain time. And it turns out at the birth of Jesus, at the time of his birth, there was a conjunction. So if you're a skeptic here, you might be able to let out some air and be like, huh, Okay, well, here's another one. In case that doesn't do it for you, there are comet and asteroidal events that take place. So much so, in Roman times, it used to be seen as a foretelling of good fortune. And in, uh, if a comet occurred during your reign, well, Augustus was reigning at this particular time in Rome, and it turns out he had a coin minted. And on the minting of that coin, he put a comet. Sometimes they would mint into the things the significant moments of the reign of the emperor at that time. Another interesting idea, apparently, from what I can tell, there was some sort of celestial event that was occurring about the time of Jesus. So if you're a skeptic here and you're kind of like, I don't know, man, don't leave us on that part of the story. So back to it. Have you ever noticed how little kids are always looking at the moon um, when they're a particular age and they think it's following them. You know, it, and it's really, I, Ireland was about, uh, I don't know, which, maybe she was like three. When uh, she'd see the moon, we'd come outside and, and she, she'd, uh, she'd say, Pop, you want to go look at the moon? And I'd be like, yeah. And we'd go outside and we'd look at the moon. And she would kind of, remember like what ki kids would go like, yeah, yeah, I like the moon. Papa, you like the moon. Papa, you like the moon, don't you? Yeah, yeah. 
And, and, and I'd be like, yes, he, he, it's a big, beautiful moon and Mr. Moon. And then in order to calm her down because she's a little nervous, I'd be, Mr. Moon, Mr. Moon, Mr. Moon, you're shining on us. You're our best friend. I mean, it looked like, uh, who was that purple dinosaur? Uh, what's his name? Barney. Barney. Yeah, I was having a Barney moment in the yard. But it was always funny because then I'd put her in the car to bring her back to her parents after babysitting. And, she, and I'd be like, you doing okay, Arlen? She'd be like, I'm doing fine. And she'll say, Papa, the moon's up there. And I'm like, yep. And I'd be driving. I look in the rear view mirror and I'm looking at Ireland. And she's like, she's like, Papa, it's following us. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, it's up there, honey. And she's like, and then we get out of the car and it was at her house. And it was like, Papa, the moon followed us all the way to my house. And I'm like, I'm like, it's okay, honey. It's because it's so high up there in the sky. Well, hope is, is like that. Hope is higher than any obstruction of life. No, no matter what the darkest streets that you're working, walking on, the power of hope has the ability to follow you in life. And Jesus offers us this kind of hope. That's why it's so awesome that the star moves. I couldn't have reverse engineered this story any better than this story is actually occurring in history. It's beautiful because it's one thing to have a hope over there, to have a hope there, or to have a hope when I was 15, or to have a hope when we were in that house, or, you know, or when America was this or whatever, to have a hope, but to have a hope that moves, an illumination of light in the midst of every construct of life, that no matter what you, where you are in life, that it moves with you. Whether you're going through a divorce, it, it follows you. Whether you're going through good times, it follows you. Whether you're going through difficulty, no matter the sky, that it's constantly moving. And that's what Jesus is communicating as he gets older in the Beatitudes, that there's this, this, these dark skies but there's also this bright light of the promise of God in your life. That's what we're reading about in the Christmas story. There's this um, famous verse in the Bible that we, I'm going to call it just for today. We're going to call them star verses. Uh, star verses are like the ones that Kirkland's prints. You know, uh, how many of you got a Kirkland Bible verse someplace at your house? Or, okay, Pottery Barn, will I get more hands that way? Uh, how about Marshalls or Home Goods? Somebody, how many, God, what a tough crowd. Uh, how many of you got a Bible verse up at your house? Okay, there, okay, that's cool. If you don't have one, that's all right too. You'll be fine, you'll be fine. But the thing is, is we usually pick these, these star verses. What's a star verse? Um, God causes all things to work together for good, you know? Um, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Or let's see what would be another one. Um, I know the plans that I have for you to give you a hope in a future, not to harm you, to prosper you and all that. Yep, that's a really good one. Um, but there's another one that people use and it's kind of a popular star. And when I'm saying star, I'm referring to it as, it's one of the ones that we hold on to in dark skies. You know, it's, it's one of those verses that shines, it's like brighter the darker the sky. And so one of them is Isaiah chapter 40. And you know the one, if you've been to church a little bit, you've probably heard it if you've listened to any music. Uh, um, Mounting up with wings of an eagle, running and not growing weary, walking and not fainting. I mean, 
it is, it is the stuff of a great tattoo. If you see my son-in-law walking around, he's the youth pastor here, um, ask him to show you his arm. Dudes, okay, ladies, don't be doing this, all right? I mean, I don't need him, because he'll like kind of flex it a little bit. Or you wanted to see this arm, you know, uh, but if he, right here he has Isaiah 40, you know? Matter of fact, it's such an inspirational verse. It's one of the theme verses of our sore woman's ministry. I think that's where we get the word sore from, is this idea of mounting up uh, with wings of an angel, that idea. And everybody loves this verse, and it's, it's good for over the mantle. But most of us don't read the whole verse. Most of us don't know that con- the contrasting moment that it was written into. It's kind of like the Christmas story. We think shepherds, wise men, you know, Jesus is born, and that's pretty much it. We forget about the obstructions, the darkness, the things that were difficult in life. And this particular chapter in Isaiah 40 is written to a people who had lost everything. Okay, so this verse is a star verse in the darkest of skies for the people of Israel. Um, It was written to a people who can't see beyond their misery. Have you ever been there before? You just can't see beyond the hate, the bitterness. You can't see beyond the sorrow. You can't see beyond the prejudice. You can't see beyond, you know, the disappointment. You can't see beyond the anger of life, um, the rejection, and it, and it just gets so dark. This is what Isaiah 40 is written into. Um, and, and the crazy thing is, and this may help you, it is written to a people not, that were not unfortunate. They created their own problems. Their dark skies are their making. And that gives me hope. Because you kind of expect God's going to bail out or help or, or offer some sort of promise of, of redemption and restoration to people who are victims. But I love this because it's written to people who screwed it up royally. And, and that's, the, that's a dark sky that this is written to. So let me back it up a little bit and let the context give us the night sky that this star verse is actually shining in. In their despair, they cried out to God. And, and a lot of us have been there. And most of the time, you know, when you go through a hard time, you'll, you blame the Democrats, you blame the Republicans. And that doesn't work long. Then you blame your mom, you blame your dad. And that doesn't work. Let's go to the in-laws. We, you know, we'll blame them. It's like, not them. Then maybe go into siblings. And then it's like when you're running out of people, it's my husband, or, or maybe it's my wife, or, or it's this generation, you know, we'll go through trying to blame. But you know, when after you've gone through all of it, you'll end up probably in one of those dark skies where your complaint is actually going to be God. You know, where it's, it's like, you're the one. That's why my life is where it's at. So Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, speaks for God, and he says to this crowd sitting under a dark night sky, he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, and say, my way, my life is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. You know, 
they got, that's a raw, visceral moment when you kind of like, you know, if God was good, then why is this happening to me? Does he not care about my life? I mean, it comes to this place. See, nobody's putting Isaiah 40, 27 on their arm. So let me make this straight. If you are going to a tattoo parlor and you tell the tattooist to give you Isaiah 40, make sure you specify what verse you're talking about because you could get this. But for a lot of us, this is where our lives end up. All of our lives end up in the place of dark skies. We all experience it. Moments of despair, moments of running out of your own strength, moments if God is listening or is even capable or if he's even there. I, I have this one actress, I had a crush on her in the 60s, don't worry, that meant I was eight, all right? So, um, so I had this crush on this actress and she was beautiful and remained beautiful uh, all of her life. Um, and so I uh, had a great career, so much so she's English. She became a dame, that's equivalent to being a knight in England, so she was very prestigious, had a great uh, theater career, amazing, did a incredible, had an incredible life, was always, and I won't mention her name because I, I, I don't know her full life story. And, and so, um, but it's interesting, so she's 82 years of age, she's lived a full life and got children and got a great career and all this other stuff. And, and at the age of 82, she develops cancer. She battles cancer for three months. And so when they asked her just before she was going to die, um, they asked her, what do you think about, what are your thoughts about God? And she said, uh, I don't have much use for, for God. He's just a mean son of a fill in the, the blank. He said, wow. It's like, you've had an amazing life. But it's interesting that in that three months, now, three months of dark sky, anybody can begin to question, what are the motives of God? Or what about life? Why is this so difficult? Do you hear me? Do you give regard to me at all? And a lot of us have been there, where we've gotten to a place where it didn't take long. I'm a wimp. I'll admit it right up front. I'm not some macho guy. Um, I am wimp. You, you put uh, physical pain on me for, for two to three months. I mean, I'm out there like, you know, God, kill me. You apparently don't care about me. Just take my life, God. You know, it's over, you know, and I'm just getting all neurotic and crazy. And it's like, but I, I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think I'm the only one that when skies get dark, that we tend to doubt, we begin to give up hope. And that's where the Christmas story answers back. But let me read to you the Christmas story out of Isaiah 40. God responds to us, to our souls, and to our dark skies. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlast the everlasting God, the creators of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths 
fail and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who hope for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I love this. Because God's not saying that you're going to have a life as a Christian where there isn't weariness, where there isn't fatigue in life. But he challenges us. He's like, have you not heard? And let's say, let's bring it to us right here in this auditorium. Are you not listening to the story? It's Christmas time. Are you not listening to the thing about the shepherds and the star and the wise men and... I mean, are you not listening? And and that's what God is saying is like, don't give up your hope. Have you not heard? I love this encouraging verse. Um, In some translations, this Isaiah uh, verse is, they who wait upon the Lord, as well as those who hope for the Lord. Both those translations are good. They're both accurate. Uh, They had to pick one word, and that's what they went with, but Uh, This word hope, and in the Hebrew, this particular word for hope, I love this word because it's not just waiting and it's not just hoping. It's the idea of, of being under tension and stress. There, there's implied in the word this idea that you're waiting for something because there's a tension in the moment. There's a pull in the moment, that there's, there's something hard going on in the moment. He says, those who are in this moment with God, in this moment of tension, not a moment without tension, because you don't need hope when there's no tension, but hope under tension in the, in the midst of hard life. And by implication, this idea of hope in the middle of all those, those it implies that there is an undesirable moment being experienced. And he says, those who are able to be in this moment of tension and and in it with God, he said that there will be a strength that will come to them. Um, Biblical hope and enthusiasm or um, positive thinking or well-wishing or let's just focus on optimism are totally different. Optimism is this. It's choosing to see in any situation how circumstances based upon three things, chance, probability, or temperament could work out better. Okay, so the optimist is somebody who's like, kind of like, uh, you know, it could work out. You know, you don't know. You know, by chance, it could get better. All right, that's one option. The other one is probability. Well, nine out of 10 times, it gets better. I'm optimistic, nine out of 10 times. And then there's the crackpot. I'm sorry, I don't mean to say crackpot because I'm not one of these people. These are people who just have a temperament of optimism. I mean, those are the Pollyannas of the world. They got no empirical data to support being happy, but they're just happy. You don't know it's going to work out. It's like, and I'll be like, what's your data? What do you mean it's going to work out? How is it going to work out? And they're not, not, you know, inferring God. They're just saying, you don't know. I just like to be optimistic about everything. It's like, well, here's a gun. Let me shove you in a war someplace. You know, it's like, and so you may be one of those people that's just optimistic, but you really have no reason to be. 
And you're like, wow, you really are neurotic. And it's like, no, I am, I've got eyes wide open, you know? Um, but here's biblical hope. Um, it's not focused on the circumstance or the chance of things getting better. I like it described this way. It is a choice to live within the tension of life, waiting for God to bring about the best of all futures as promised. It is a choice that I am going to live since I, not that, that all this goes away, but I'm going to live in this tension with God and with his promises. That this may be three months of cancer, but this is not when I'm giving up on God. This may be hard times for America. This may be a tough time for my marriage. This may be wrestling with things that are going on inside of my head that I constantly struggle with. But biblical hope is being willing to live, making the choice. I am living with the promises of God in the middle of the moment of this tension. Strength comes with hope, waiting with divine expectation. Rising up, running, walking through the hardships of life. Know this, and I found this to be true, that the darkest night skies cannot extinguish the brightest star. We want a world without night skies, without darkness. It's not happening on this side of the grave. It is not happening. Jesus said, you will have tribulation. There are dark skies. But the promises of God cannot be extinguished, no matter how dark the skies are. And you're like, well, Pastor Paul, you don't understand, you know, how dark my skies are. You know, we're, we're starting to study the, the space more, and now we're talking about dark matter. And, I mean, darkness has got, like, you know, like a substance to it of some sort of kind of way. I mean, we don't even understand it. But what we're being told in this story is that regardless of the darkness, it cannot put out the brightest star. Our, brightest star. Our, our weaknesses, our failures, you think those are your problem. I do. Our oppressors, we think that that is what's making life miserable. Um, our limitations are not our demise. Our lack of hope in God is. Because tomorrow you're going to have another trouble. I mean, I walk in here today and they got the lift out and they're trying to fix the projectors. Yes, that's just a tri that's trivial pursuit kind of trouble, okay? It really, well, not for me it is. I mean, I mean it's kind of like this is, this is showtime, you know what I mean? You know why You want to be able to do a good job and you want to present, present well and it's like, oh, crap, this looks like, you know? And I get that first initial thought and it's, but the next thought that came into my mind because the next thought I'm thinking is like, well, who's fixing this? What are we doing about it? We need to cancel church. And then it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this sky so dark you can't offer hope? I'm like, no. Is there any sky so dark that you can't find hope if it's offered by God? No. Is there a sky where optimism doesn't work? Yes. There, save your optimism for the weather. But you're going to need hope for life. And there's nothing that can put it out. Our lack of hope in God, that's, that's the challenge. But it's not just hoping well, is it? 
Jesus is this hope on the move. That's why I love the way that the apostle Peter said it. He said it this way. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, a living hope. And the reason why that's so important is like, okay, well, Paul, you you did the whole thing about the star. So are you resting on the conjunction of these planets as your whole salvation is based upon that piece of empirical evidence? No. Uh, Is it all resting on uh, good behavior and biblical ethics? No. Is it all resting on, you know, what your view on abortion is? No. Is it all resting on, you know, and we'll have all these things that will kind of like, what is it all resting on? And, and Peter says, it's all resting on a living hope, a person, a person that is moving in your life. This is so much better than optimism. Jesus is a living hope. Philosophically, that is why the star is described as moving in the night sky. Hope is found in the presence of God. The Bible just gave us a name for it. Emmanuel, God with us. When you're over here, hope. When you're over here, hope. When you're over there, hope. This is what the Christmas story tells us. That in the midst of hardships of life, there are these beatitudes, these promises, these stars, these hopes. In the midst of the worst night, the worst uh, misery, there is a promise of strength and rising up and and restoration to our lives. That's what this story is about. It's what it's always been about. So as we go to communion, what I love about Isaiah, it's not what everybody else loves. Um, I love it. It says, uh, the youth will faint and the young, young man will grow weary. And that kind of makes me feel good. It's like, it's going to happen to them too. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, you know what that's telling me? That fainting and growing weary is not an age issue. It's a human issue. All of us grow weary. All of us grow tired. You don't have to wish that you were younger. This is not, you got to go to the gym so that you can not grow weary as often. But no, this is, this is trusting in God. God is offering you a living hope. I love it. One that moves in you. One that moves with you. One that moves for you. And one that loves you. Have you not heard? Did you actually watch the movie? Did you actually hear what's going on in this incredible story of the birth of Christ? Did you look and to consider the star, the hope that moves, that's always over the presence of God in your life? Because if you will trust in God, in the tensions, and I I am not telling you that God's going to remove all your tensions this side of the grave. That's not what my hope is on. My optimism is that, but that's not where my hope is. My hope is in the person of Jesus that moves through in sickness and in health, in 
difficulty and prosperity, that that hope moves with me everywhere I go. And that is what I love about this story. So as we come to communion, we bring our lives in tension to God. Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you that you took Jesus to the place of tension on the cross. The greatest tension a human being can experience. You brought Jesus to the darkest skies. So much so he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The skies were so dark, he thought he was alone, but you did not leave him alone. You did not forsake him to the grave. But God, you spoke your words. Did you not hear that though you faint, I will give you strength, though you're weary, I will empower you, and though you have fallen, I will raise you up. Lord God, some of us are in our darkest sky at this point. And today as we come and receive the bread and the cup, we are reminded of the hope that is within us, that goes with us, and that moves for us. The hope that loves us. God, today, we hope upon the Lord.